This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. Well, as sometimes happens, we're shy on time for comments by yours truly, so let's get right to the action with Jack Webb, starring in Pat Novak for Hire. Cinderella lost a shoe, and so she got a maid with lovely shoes a girl can't lose in gallon camp Four miles to a gallon cap. Yes, gallon caps, the family shoe stars with the yellow fronts, the largest shoe chain in the West with stores from Canada to Mexico to serve the West. G-A-L-L-E-N-K-A-M-P-S, Gallon Caps present Pat Novak for Hire. sign out in front of my office says, Pat Novak for hire. Down on the waterfront in San Francisco, you always bite off more than you can chew. It's tough on your windpipe, but you don't go hungry. Down here, a lot of people figure it's better to be a fat guy in a graveyard than a thin guy in a stew. That way, you can be sure of a tight fit. Oh, I rent boats and do anything else that makes a sound like money. It works out all right if your mother doesn't mind you coming home for Christmas in a box. I found that out Wednesday night about nine o'clock. I closed the shop early and I came home to read. Oh, it wasn't a bad book if you ever wanted to start a forest fire. It was one of those historical things and the girl in it was just getting her second wind and her third man when the door to my apartment opened and the place began to get crowded. From where I sat, the crowd looked good. She sauntered in, moving slowly from side to side like 118 pounds of warm smoke. Her voice was all right, too. It reminded you of a furnace full of marshmallows. Good evening. Yeah, thanks for knocking. I don't think you mind my coming in without warning. No. I get the cabbage smell from next door the same way. Does it pay to be that polite, Mr. Novak? Saves you the trouble of saying please. What's on your mind? That bottle in front of you. Will you pour me a drink? No. You'll save dough if you look up a bartender. All right. I came to use you instead of your whiskey anyway. Talk. My name is Lee Underwood. I'll give you $300 to do something for me. It'll only take an hour. That's too much dough unless it's murder. And if it is murder, it's not enough, though. Are you afraid? I just don't like paid murder, I told you. When you get caught, the pain gets expensive. If it were murder, I'd do it myself. Mr. Novak, I want you to frighten someone for me. Why don't you hire a friend? Are they too pretty? It's a man named Dixie Gillian. You'll find him in an office down on Folsom Street, at this address. I promise nothing will happen to you. That's what they told Billy Kahn. He'll be in this office until 11 tonight. I want you to go in and see him. Tell him you're from Adrian. 
and that he's to get out of town by tomorrow noon. Suppose he wants to put it off. He won't. Don't let him know who hired you. Just tell him Adrian said to leave. Yeah. You better go home. For 300 bucks, I won't buy a tissue paper plot. Now tell me more or say goodbye. There's not much more I can tell you, except there won't be any trouble. He's a rotten little beast, and I want him frightened badly. Why? He's been bothering my sister. Why doesn't he bother you? Because I bother back too fast. Do you want the 300, Mr. Novak? Yeah, it's going to be a long winter. Put it on the table. Good. And you'll need this, too. No, you keep it. I don't want a gun. It's empty. Don't worry. See? No shells. It's perfectly safe. Now, look. I've got a nasty disposition. You can rent that for 300 bucks. But if you want more, find a gunsel or an off-duty copper. Will you? I don't want you to be a gunsel. That's why I want you to use this gun. I know it's empty. If you use it on Dixie, he'll scare fast. It's just a way to save some breath. All right. It's your 300. You better go now. Yeah. Wait till I get a coat, will you? If uh, your doorbell rings, don't play mouse. Oh. Because I may look you up. Am I too young to ask why? Because if anything goes wrong, I'll be around looking for you. From there on, it won't be nice. I'll dirty you up like a locker room towel. Relax, Patsy. You'll never learn to fall in love that way. She handed me the gun and walked out of my apartment. Seeing her leave made you feel like Frank Buck losing an argument. She walked with a nice, easy swing of a satisfied leopard, and for a small leopard, she had pretty good spots, too. I put the gun in my overcoat pocket, and I went down to Folsom Street. The address was down near the bridge entrance, and the street was deserted except for a couple of winos near the corner trying to buy back 1926 at a dollar a jug. I stopped in front of the place. It was a machinery company. I could see a light burning in the back. I began to walk through the place. It was so quiet you could hear a worm with whooping cough, and there were enough shadows around to keep a ghost happy for years. When I got to the office back in the corner, through the glass, I could see a man sitting at the desk. When I opened the door and walked in, he didn't seem surprised. Come on in, mister. The bad on noise. Yeah? That's right. You make too much for a thief and not enough for a customer. What do you want? About ten words, if you're Dixie Gillian. Go ahead. You better look up a timetable. What makes you that tough? This. Oh. Well, you look tougher with a gun. Does it make you talk faster? I'm going to say it's slow, mister. Pack up your rompers and get out. Is that you talking or somebody else? I'm just the guy with the gun. Adrian does the talking. And he says get out. That's right. You've got the whole message now. All right, you told me. So wander out and spend your dough. I will. You'll need part of it, though, because I'm going to give you an answer for Adrian. I'm going to take that gun away from you, mister. You can pick the pieces out of your head on the way home. You better stand back or I'll share it with you. You got your offer, mister. Let's see you make good. Here, save your muscle, Drop fella. that gun, will you? Save your Drop muscle, gun. fella. The gun's Drop empty. Somebody fooled us, mister. Sometimes you can get a home run with a half swing. That's the way it was this time. He couldn't have made it with a prayer book in both hands. He slid down to the floor and trembled for a moment and then flattened out like a leaf in a pool of water. Just before he died, he grabbed his side as if he didn't like the way it hurt. Then he didn't care. I rolled him on his back and let him look at the ceiling. His eyes were open and he looked surprised, like a guy who didn't figure on a change in the weather. There was a scar that ran across his forehead and dug deep into his hairline. And he was lying there with a bunch of pink gum showing as if he was trying to pick up a few bucks with a toothpaste ad. I didn't have time to tell him how sorry I was. Because if homicide caught me here, I'd have about as much chance as a canary in a basement full of cats. I started for the door. Right then, I knew I could start ordering birdseed. It was Hellman. And he walked over to have a look at the body. Hello, Novak. The guy looks embarrassed. Yeah, I guess he is, Hellman. What's he doing dead? Putting in a beef somewhere, I guess. He rates it. He'll like you for that, Novak. 
How did it happen? A team play. We worked it out together. But you've got the gun. That's right. I got the gun. You feel like a bet? No. Just keep stealing the old way. You know how I feel, Novak? Yeah, you feel flabby to anybody else, but to yourself, I suppose you feel good. Now, look. I walked in here with a gun. There was some quick fight talk, and I killed him, but it's still not a good rap. I can get a long price on it for you, Novak. I'll bet you can, Hellman. You can give me a bad deal, but part of the time, it'll be from the other side of the deck. Worse than that, Novak. It'll be all the time, and I want to watch it because I think you're going to be a crybaby. I'm going to scream, if that's what you mean, Hellman. I'm going to scream about a gal that sent me in here with an empty gun. That's a big hole for a cap pistol, Novak. I got a last-minute curve. It was empty once. Yeah. That's the only way they make a gun, Novak. I don't want you for an hour ago. I want you for this dead guy on the floor. All right, all right. I told you I didn't come in here to kill the guy. I don't know him. He may even be a good guy. I'm sorry he's dead. All right, Novak. Just wait a few weeks, and you can tell him personally. Hellman had me up against the rail and he knew it. When we left there, he was wearing a big toothy smile. It was big enough to sew in his ears. He called the coroner and he told him to pick up the stiff and then we rode downtown. He dropped the gun into ballistics and he hauled me into his office. The reporters were there. He gave him the whole story and told him how to spell Hellman. After that, we wound up at the desk and he booked me on suspicion of murder. The next hour and a half was the kind of stuff they don't write about in the paper. They call it interrogation. And when you're finished, you've been through a lot of tight spots, like a piece of bubble gum and a set of false teeth. About 11 o'clock, Hellman brought me into his office, and from there on, it happened kind of fast. I just talked to the DA. He's going to streamline things for you. Well, he's going to look funny. Going to trial on a guy you can't identify. I won't press you. I don't have to, Novak. I've got the only parley I need. You, the dead guy, and a big, fat murder guy. Yeah. Yeah, Hellman talking. Yeah, I know it was a 38. That crazy down in ballistics, I saw him standing over the dead guy. Well, they must have made a mistake, that's all. No, I don't want him in here. I don't want him in here. Hey, Tony. Tony, I... You're getting pale. You need some more rouge, Hellman. I got some bad news, Inspector. Well, keep it. Or you'll take more home to your wife. I'll talk to you later. No, talk to him now, Hellman. If the bullet doesn't match the gun, talk to him now. That's right, Inspector. A thirty-eight bullet, but it won't match the gun you brought in. It's got a match. I came in and found him standing there. He admits it. It's a neat trick, then. If he fired the bullet out of that gun, he retooled it in midair. I'm not that fast, Hellman. Get out of that chair so you'll have room to squirm. You keep still, Novak. Oh, I won't bother you. I'm going home. Huh? I'm walking out of your jail, Hellman. You've got a broken down 38 that won't fit anything but your thumbs. You can't hold me on that. I found you over the body. I can hold you on suspicion of murder. But it'll hurt tomorrow morning, Hellman. The papers will be down here for a follow-up. And you'll have to tell them what it looks like out in left field. I'll handle them. You can't afford to let them start laughing at you. People will get the idea it's your face. You can save carfare if you stay right here. Because I'll have you back by noon tomorrow. You're not that good, Hellman. You couldn't hold a moth with a searchlight. The town ought to thank you. Eh? Oh, it's a nice jail, Hellman. And with you around, it'll last for years. <laughs> We'll return to Pat Novak in a moment. You're going to put extra warmth and comfort in your Christmas wishes this year. How do I know? Well, because I've seen the Gallon Camp Christmas Gift Slipper Collection. You know, everybody's talking about it as the gayest, brightest idea on the gift shopping horizon. When you visit your neighborhood Gallon Camp store, well, then you'll know why. There you'll find slippers for every member of the family. Soft and cuddly warm ski capers for sis, handsome embroidered Chinese slippers for mom, warm shearling lined opera slippers for brother, and good-looking smooth kid opera slippers for dad's fireside loafing. 
Yes, and there are appealingly soft and gorgeously colored shearling scuffs to delight the heart of any young lady from 16 to 60. And slippers for the little nippers. All are irresistibly comfortable, good-looking, and irresistibly gallon camp price. Go to Gallon Camps, the store with the yellow front near you, to buy Christmas gift slippers that'll say Merry Christmas in a heartwarming way. Give more smiles with a Gallon Camp slipper gift. And now back to Pat Novak. When I walked out of headquarters, I had a nice mess to juggle. It was like trying to walk the baby on a floor full of marbles. If things didn't add up for Hellman, they weren't doing any better for me. I knew the gun I had went off. If it did, what happened to the bullet? Where did the other one come from? Why weren't there two shots? Oh, I couldn't put my finger on a thing and nothing added up. It was like trying to follow a grain of rice in a Shanghai suburb. I looked up Lee Underwood's address and I went by her apartment. A girl downstairs told me she worked at a nightclub out in the Bay Shore Highway. Well, I had a couple of places to hit, so I looked up the only honest guy I know. An ex-doctor and a boozer by the name of Jocko Madigan. A good man until he began to figure the last drink in a bottle is just as easy to get as the first. Well, I found him in a little leather-trimmed sink on Powell Street. It was a grimy little hole where they washed the glasses once a week in stale beer, but Jocko was more at home than a vulture in Calcutta. Ah, uh, Patsy, you're just in time to celebrate my return to health. Something mild for Mr. Novak. Uh, a double stinger, perhaps. No, forget it, Jocko. i got to talk to you. Patsy, I've just passed through a crisis. Yeah. A few minutes ago, they set before me a glass with a woman's lipstick all around the rim. All right, Jocko. I took one gulp and looked at the glass, and in this dim light, I thought I was bleeding to get... Uh, bleeding to death. Uh, it took them ten minutes and three mirrors to calm me down. Jocko, I'm in trouble. You've got to help me. No, but they washed the glass for me in, in ammonia. They must have left a little ammonia in the glass because the next drink had a very odd tang about it. I've had three more just like it. <laughs> a sort of ammonia calling. All right, all well, right. So far, they've been using domestic ammonia. When the imported stuff comes in, I may give up whiskey altogether. Calm down, will you, Jocko? I got a bum shake tonight. Yeah? I either killed a guy or I thought I did. Well, that uses up the alternatives. What are you doing now, taking a vote? I got hired to scare a guy down on Folsom Street. Ten minutes later, the guy was dead. Oh, Patsy, you take your work too seriously. Couldn't you have just scared him into a lingering illness instead of killing him? One of the props was an empty gun. Only when the fight came, it grew bullets. Hellman walked in right after on a telephone tip. What are you doing out of the electric chair? Oh, the whole thing backfired down at headquarters. The bullet and the phony gun wouldn't match. Oh. Jocko, doesn't add up. The call to Hellman's a tip-off. I was framed. But why wasn't I framed all the way? Well, who is the dead man? It's a guy with a falling blood count. His name was supposed to be Dixie Gillian, but there's no identification and no record on him. Well, you shouldn't have hired out as a gunsel. I told you I didn't hire out as a gunsel. It was somebody else's idea. Oh, you have no conscience, Patsy. Just a sort of soap opera rule of thumb you put into practice now and then, but no real conscience. You'd let a dying woman lie in the middle of the highway... Unless her head was resting on a pile of war bonds. All right, Jocko, I'll cry with you later. I need help now. Well, what sort of help? I want you to break into a girl's apartment. Yes? Don't worry, she won't be home. Oh, is that supposed to be an incentive? Here, it's at this address up on O'Farrell. Her name is Lee Underwood. She's the one who hired me. Well, if the girl's not there, what am I supposed to find? Anything that'll connect her with a dead man. He's a big guy with a scar. Well, that doesn't help much. You can't miss. 
Go through the desk and the drawers. Pick up everything you can. Leave a message at my place, huh? Oh, as soon as I finish this drink. Hurry up, will you, Jocko? Leave the glass alone and get going. Don't rush me. Hurry up. The glass is empty anyway. Yeah, that's what you thought about the gun. But the fellow got an awful jolt out of it. Uh, good night, lover. <laughs> I went by a horse parlor on O'Farrell Street and borrowed a car from a guy. It was after midnight when I started down the Bayshore Highway, and about a half hour later I pulled up in front of the Cat's Paw. It was a long, rambling place on the left side of the road. No, there was no plan. It just followed the erosion line until they ran out of material. There was enough neon in front to light a main intersection in heaven. I asked a 50-year-old busboy, and he said Lee Underwood was back in her dressing room getting ready for the one o'clock show. When I walked in, she was sitting in front of a mirror, working on an upswept hairdo. If she swept it up anymore, it was going to leave her head. I stood behind her, looking at the pink, fresh part of her neck that didn't show when her hair was down. You seem fascinated, Patsy. No. I just want to know where to break it. Oh. Sit down on the footstool here next to me. That's it. I like to look down on people. Here, let me brush that strand of hair back. Or do you like it in your eyes? Brush it back so I can see your answers. Who's Dixie Gillian? What difference does it make? None to him and some to me. He's dead. No. No, he couldn't be dead. He'd like to believe that, too. I couldn't sell him that story about an empty gun. He couldn't have been killed with that gun. No? No, I put in a blank, Patsy. Somebody used a hard-working bullet because Dixie's dead. There was no reason to kill him. I don't understand. That makes you even with homicide, but they got a bigger team. I don't understand it, Patsy. Who's Dixie Gillian? He was after some microfilm. I thought I could scare him away. You better be ready to identify him because homicide stopped. Even the scar didn't help. What scar? Scar across his face. There's no record on him. Oh, no, no, Patsy. Everything goes wrong. Everything you touch goes wrong. That's the wrong man, Patsy. Yeah. Well, it's too late for a recon. You've got to get to that body, Patsy. I don't know how, but some way you've got to get to him. Now, you look good, Lee. You'll make a nice picture. Wait a minute, Dixie. You don't need your coat. Come on. I don't know how it happened, Dixie. I didn't mean it that way. If you like it that way, all right. Bring your boyfriend, too. No, don't let him, Patsy. Oh, that gun's too big. I'm going with him. It was a short trip. He led us out of the dressing room and down a thin hall to the back door. On the way past the kitchen, you could smell onions and used grease, and that's all you noticed, except the sound of a jukebox somewhere out in front and someone laughing in a loud, mirthless way. When we got to the door, it was raining outside. We walked about 40 feet over near some trees where the dark was working overtime. And the gunsel made her stop. And that's where it happened. She's going to get wet, mister. You'll have a little trouble yourself. up, it was still raining, and I was lying on top of the mud like a stubborn seed. My wallet was gone, and the gunsel had ripped open my pockets. I stood up, and I walked over for a last look at Lee. The rain had washed the makeup off her face, and she looked small and tired as she lay there, like a broken doll that had been tossed out in the rain. I guess she was. I got to the car, and I drove back to town. I checked my place, but there was no word from Jocko, so I went up to Lee's apartment. When I opened the door, the room was dark, but I knew someone was on the floor. Either that or they'd varnished the floor with bourbon. I flipped on the light and bent over Jocko. Ah. Wake up, Jocko. Come on, come on. All right, Jocko, wake up. Oh, a little ammonia. A little ammonia, I think, would bring me around. What happened? I was sapped, I 
Yes, yeah. Everybody's got the same act tonight. Uh, help me up. All right, come on. <clears throat> Where have you been? I went down to meet the girl. Huh? Where'd you meet her? In the swimming pool? I've been in the rain all night. She's going to stay longer. What'd you find out? Uh, the fellow with the sky is her husband. Yeah? There's a picture in the desk. Are there any more pictures? Oh, a few. Take a look. Where, in here? Yes. Well, well. Who is he? Must be Dixie Gillian. He was down to pay off a debt tonight. She called him Dixie once. Well, there's a note with that name and address in the other drawer. He's our boy. We better get up there. Not if he's already killed two other people. We can't wait for Hellman. If he gets away, I'm all through. I won't have a leg to stand on. That's my point. When the other fellow gets through with us, we won't have much standing to do. I felt better now. Gillian was the only guy left in the picture. So I dragged Jocko up to his place. It was an apartment on Post Street. The elevator operator took us to the eighth floor and said that Gillian had come in a few minutes before. There was no answer, so we tried the door and it was open. Jocko didn't like the idea. Oh, Patsy, this is folly. Risking my life is one of the bravest things you do. Keep still, Jocko. What are we supposed to do? The door was open, when it? So are a lot of graves, but I've never been tempted. Hey, look at the furniture. There's been a fight here. I'll look in here. You check in the bedroom. Uh, if I'm not right back, don't expect me at all. Yeah. Patsy, Patsy, come here. Yeah? There's somebody on the fire escape. Stand back here. Uh, he's not moving. He was leaning that way when I first saw him. I'll get on this side. You raise the window. Go easy, Jocko. Can you see him from there? Raise it a little more. Yeah. Uh, he's still leaning there. I can reach out. Now watch yourself. If he's kidding, you'll lose an arm. I, I've got him. Raise the window more. Yeah. Oh, Patsy, he's falling. Give me a hand. Oh, here, let me through there. Oh, it's too late. I can't hold him. He's falling. I'm sorry. Yeah. He was probably dead anyway. Uh, if he wasn't, that was a step in the right direction. Oh, it was an easy night to die. Three of them had checked out already, and there was still time to look for more. Jocko and I went downstairs to see the guy. He was lying face down in the alley, and as you looked at him, you got the funny feeling he belonged there. He didn't disturb the scene. He just fitted in, like a dirty, wet newspaper under a grandstand. There was a gun in his pocket, probably the same one that killed the girl, but there was no way of knowing. Jock and I watched him for a moment, but your eyes begin to hurt when you see your only warm lead in a deep freeze. Well, it was past two when I got down to headquarters, and I looked up Hellman. I briefed him on the girl and the guy in the alley, and... Then I asked him if any microfilm had turned up on the first guy in the morgue. It was a waste of time. Hillman couldn't find a brass ring in a dead man's nose, but we went over to the morgue for another look. So far, it was working out like a crossword puzzle torn in half. It's your time, Novak. I got more after tomorrow. You haven't. The microfilm must be on the guy. Three people have been killed for it, and I got roughed up just for laughs. We searched the guy once. There it is. Help me roll it out. Yeah. Well, well. He sure got thin under that sheet, didn't he? Wait a minute. Oh, you run a good morgue, Hellman. What'll the papers say when they hear the stiff got up and walked out? They got him in the wrong place or something. He didn't walk out. He's gone, Hellman. Have you got an answer? He's been moved, I tell you. The guy was dead and I saw him put him here. He couldn't be walking around with a hole in the middle of his back. Oh, I don't know, Hellman. You can do it with one in your head. Don't sell the guy short. 
We'll return to Pat Novak in a moment. Cinderella lost a shoe and so she got a mate. With lovely shoes a girl can't lose. In gallon can't you wait. What girl hasn't dreamed Cinderella dreams of her own and wished for a fairy godmother to make those dreams come true? Here's what the newest Cinderella, Marilyn Buford, Miss America, says. The modern girl doesn't waste time dreaming. She makes her dreams come true and she needs no fairy godmother to give her lovely shoes. She doesn't, that is, if she has discovered my favorite shoe store, Gallon Camp. Yes, Marilyn, for gracefully lovely shoes, flattering and in the latest fashions, wise girls go to Gallon Camps. Gallon Camps are shoe style leaders. And so amazingly priced, a girl can afford to have all the shoes she needs. And here's extra good news of a special Thanksgiving shoe sale. Yes, prices are actually going down on many of the up-to-the-minute shoe styles tomorrow at Gallon Camps. So shop this sale at the Gallon Camp store near you tomorrow to step assured into the exciting holiday activities ahead. Look lovely in Gallon Camp. Cinderella lost a shoe and so she got a maid. With lovely shoes a girl can't lose in gallon camp she'll raid. And all back to Pat Novak. When Hillman found out the body was gone, he stood there and stared at the empty slab. And then he started looking around in a nervous way like a man trying to find the sugar bowl at a restaurant counter. A few moments later, he turned and walked out of the morgue, and we were halfway downtown when it happened. It must have hit us at the same time, sharp and quick, like a piece of candy and a bad tooth. That guy back in the alley had come off that slab in the morgue. We got out to Dixie's place, and we began to check. There was a phone operator downstairs, and she said Dixie had put through a call about two hours ago. Hellman checked the number, and it was the ticket office of a railroad. We got downtown, and we ran through the timetable. There was a train leaving the Oakland Mole in 40 minutes. Oh, it was an outside chance, but tonight that was the only kind for sale. We got down in time to slide on the last ferry over to the Mole. It was still dark out when the ferry pulled away from the slip and started across the bay. Over toward the Berkeley Hills, it was beginning to get light. The sky was the color of a bruised spot on a man's arm. We'll get up to the pilot house and tell him not to dock until we've gone through all the passengers. He doesn't have to be in on this one. I'll check the train when he gets there. Wait a minute. You don't have to check. There's your boy. Where? Up there. On the rail. Now, you better go easy. He's not a scale model. Just walk quietly until we're behind him. Yeah. Turn around, mister. He'll get a better view. Hmm? Oh. Hello, Novak. I was the wind and the rain in your hair. Meet Inspector Hellman. You better turn in your ticket. Well, I hope you brought your muscle. Grab it, Hellman. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do. All right, copper. What's it? I'm being pushed over on the rail. Yeah, I'm worried, Hellman. Watch it, Novak. I'm going over. Novak! That's one down, mister. Now for you. Yeah. Well, I landed on the deck, and I watched him disappear in the dark. Halfway down, the guy turned in. I followed him down the ladder and along the main deck. He ducked into one of the engine spaces, and I started in to look for him. Oh, it didn't take long, because he turned out to be helpful. You got the idea yet, Novak? I'll come closer. Tell me then, huh? Suit yourself, but I'll knock you down hard when you show. Hey, watch that platform. You're backing into trouble. Stay back there, Novak. Watch out for that platform. You're backing into that engine. 
Look out! No! 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 I kind of wound up last, huh? Yeah. That's the way it looks. Did you get the microfilm? Yeah. I got a big hurt. Does it show? A little. Yeah. And it's been a long night, Novak, huh? Yeah. But your worries are over. It's almost dawn. I don't know. I don't know if I can use it, but... I'll give it to you. fished Hellman out of an oil slick a few minutes later. It was the first time his hair ever looked good. Dixie Gillian lasted long enough to piece the story together for homicide. Lee Underwood was on the level. She knew her husband was carrying microfilm and was worried, so she hired me to scare off Gillian. It might have worked, too, because Adrian was too big for Gillian to argue with. But the first slip came when Lee's husband went by to make a deal with Dixie without telling her. When I jumped him, Dixie was outside and figured it was a double cross. He didn't have time to figure it, but he killed him with a silencer when Lee's phony gun went off. Well, he spent the rest of the time looking for the microfilm. That's why Jocko got sapped and the girl got hers. And By that time, Dixie knew the microfilm was still on the dead man. The only way he could be sure was to get the body out of the morgue. He took it up to his apartment, and when he got the film, he planted the gun and put the body on the fire escape. It was safer that way. There was a 50-50 chance the police would miss it the first time around, and he'd have a fair lead. It almost worked out for him except for that phone call. The microfilm? Well, it was in a capsule next to the roof of the guy's mouth. Yeah, so old it was new again. Well, Hellman asked only one question. In that fight, did I have anything to do with pushing him against the rail? I told him. Sometimes those ferry boats roll as much as 45 degrees. Stay tuned for the Jack Benny Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that old penny-pinching, forever-aged 39, Jack Benny. Fall is here. It is the sixth day of October, and Jell-O is back on the air. But where are all our little playmates? Where are Donzy and Filzy and Mary and Dennis and Jackie Boy? Ah, me, they're still asleep. For 15 weeks, they have been in the arms of Morpheus. Wake up. Wake up, little playmates. Alas, they do not heed my summons. However, we must get them up. But how? How can we awaken our master of ceremonies? How can we arouse Jackie Boy? Drop a quarter. You're asleep. Alas, my efforts are unavailing. If only someone, someone with magic powers would assist me. But who? Who will it be? I'll help you, kid. <laughs> Hmm. With my magic wand, I will awaken them. You will awaken them? Who are you? I am the Blue Fairy. 
Then you must hurry, O oh Blue Fairy. Wake them all and do not tarry. Fear not, my friend. I'll fly away. All of me and that ain't hay. <laughs> well, here I go. Goodbye, Blue Fairy. So long, kid. <laughs> Wilson, you big lug. It's time we heard a jello plug. <laughs> oh, thanks, Blue Fairy. I heed your call. Hand me my girdle from off the wall. <laughs> Here you are. And here is little Dennis. Oh, Dennis, stay, jump out of bed. On your feet, not on your head. Oh, um, I'm tired. Dennis, Dennis, wake up and get dressed. But gee whiz, Ma, I'm sleepy. Dennis, stay, you get right over to the studio. Mr. Benny will be furious if you're late. Okay. Do I have to wash behind my ears? What for? He doesn't. <laughs> That's a lie. That woman better watch out. Oh, little Phil Harris, come blow your horn. The cows in the meadow, the sheep's in the corn. Corn? <laughs> that got him. Who are you, babe? I am the Blue Fairy. Well, come on in. <laughs> this is a fantasy. in the land of Nod. But I, the blue fairy, will awaken her. Some fairy, she couldn't fly with three motors. <laughs> Mary, don't spoil the illusion. This is a fine way to start our first program. Well, can you think of something better? Anything. <laughs> oh, go ahead, fairy, and wake her up. When is she going to wake up the audience? Never mind. <laughs> Get going, fairy. Oh, Mary Liv, it's time you woke and told us all a funny joke. So open your eyes and don't be drowsy. Oh, boy, what a lead. <laughs> Give me that one. Ouch! All right, now wake me up. <laughs> Jack Benny snores so rich and deep. For 15 weeks he's been asleep, but now he must awake, you know, and run his good old jello show. Awake, awake, awake! The sun is sleeping on the hill and birds are singing by the mill. For safe, for safe.
from his slumber? Will he ever wake up? I don't know. Hey, Eddie, will he ever wake up? I don't know. Hey, Bill, will he ever wake up? I don't know. Hey, Sam! Never mind, I'm up! <laughs> My goodness! J-E-L-L-O the Jell-O Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with Shout, I Am an American. I know you're all anxious to get on with the show, and so for that reason, I'm not going to take the time right now to tell you about Jell-O. I'm not going to say a word about how popular Jell-O is with just about everybody the country over. I'm not going to tell you that Jell-O is simply tops for gay, tempting color and wonderful, extra-rich flavor. I won't stop now to point out that Jell-O is a quick, easy dessert to make or that it's delightfully inexpensive. And I'm not even going to mention that you can get Jell-O in six delicious flavors. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. I'd like to tell you all these things, ladies and gentlemen, but there just isn't time right now. So, on with the show. And, uh, oh yes, uh, there isn't time either to tell you that you ought to get some Jell-O tomorrow without fail. played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time this season, I bring you a man who returns to the air fresh as a daisy, gay as a daffodil, modest as a violet, and rugged as a sweet pea, Jack Benny. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Jello again, this is your favorite flower talking. <laughs> And Don, um, Don, before we go any further, uh, what did you think of that novel opening to our first program? You know, where we're all supposed to be asleep for 15 weeks. Wasn't that whimsical? It certainly was, Jack. <laughs> and clever, too. You know, I wrote and produced it myself. Did you like the idea of the Blue Fairy? Yes, that was novel. Who is she, anyway? Well, I don't know her name, Don, but she uh, came to us through the courtesy of the Great Lakes Dredge and Dock Company. <laughs> Her freight bill was something awful in there Well, anyway, Don, here we are starting our seventh season for Jell-O For seven years, you and I and our little gang have been with the same sponsor Yes, sir, seven years on one job You know, Don, we're either loyal or in a rut <laughs> But who knows, we might be with the same sponsor seven more years Or tw ten, or twenty If he ever tunes in on us, we're cooked well, look who's here. Hello, Mary. Hello, Mary. Hello. How are you? Hi. 
Well, did you hear that ovation, Mary? Applause, cheers, whistles. I can't understand it. I can. Hmm. Same a modest, assuming, unassuming little girl, huh? Fine thing for you to say. Aw, oh, Jack, who are you kidding? Every actor loves applause, and you know it. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Mary's right, Jack. There's a certain amount of ego in every one of us. Now, wait a minute, Don. I was in vaudeville for a good many years, and my only thought was to entertain. Applause meant absolutely nothing to me. Oh, no? Tell them about the time you're going to kill yourself in Toledo. <laughs> well, even the ushers didn't applaud there. Besides, I had no intention of killing myself. And what were you doing with that rope in your dressing room? I hung my laundry on it. <laughs> now, let's not start our first program by being personal. Let's talk about something uh, else. What'd you do this summer, Mary? I was asleep till that dredge woke me up. Now, cut that out. You're not supposed to take that literally. It was just a delightful fantasy. Why, Jack, you ought to be ashamed of yourself writing a corny thing like that. Who said I wrote it? You did. Oh. <laughs> well, as long as I'm trapped, I wrote the music, too. <laughs> anyway, it was a very novel opening for our first program, and I'm proud of it. Proud of it? Why, it didn't even make sense. Oh, it didn't, eh? Well, they said the same thing about A Midsummer Night's Dream. And look how successful that was. Yeah, I hear Shakespeare just built a home in Brentwood. <laughs> That's Abe Shakespeare from Universal. <laughs> anyway, Mary, you don't appreciate how hard it is to get new ideas and things. You know, Don, I sat up night after night working on an idea. Hey, Jack. What? Here comes Sierra Sue. Oh, yes. Hello, Phil. Hiya, folks. Here's the man you've been waiting for. Get them hands out of your pockets. Well, Bill, hello. Oh, sure. He would ask for it. I appreciate that, folks. You know, applause is food for an actor, so thanks for the lunch. Ha <laughs> ha, it's a Lulu. <laughs> well, you didn't disappoint us, Phil. You came right back the way you left. <laughs> Not a colonel missing. <laughs> well, Phil, I hear you had another successful tour this summer on those one-night stands. Yes, sir. We covered about 16,000 miles, one town after another. Boy, that's what I call a tough grind. I wouldn't go through that for all the money in the world. What? You heard me. <laughs> I don't know how that guy does it. Phil, why do you only stay one night in a town and then move on? Love them and leave them. That's my motto. <laughs> I know, I saw tattooed on your chest. <laughs> you know, Phil, you ought to take a vacation in the summer instead of working and traveling around the country. Look at those bags under your eyes. Oh, uh, they're not so big. I like to have them full of radium, that's all. Grub. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait a minute, Jack. I look all right, and so do my boys. Why don't you say something about the new suits they're wearing? Well, I've got to admit, they're all spruced up today. I notice another thing. They smell so sweet. You know? Why, sure. They all got perfume on. Perfume, eh? That's all right. They'll never replace the old-fashioned bathtub. <laughs> never mind. With them, I'll settle for anything. But at that, Phil, I must compliment you on the way Say, that... Hey, Jack. What? Here comes baby dumpling. Oh, yes. Hello, Dennis. Hello, everybody. Hi. Well, hello, Dennis. Oh, 
Well. Gee, was all that applause for me? Yes, sir, Dennis. Every bit of it. The people are glad to see you back again. Then I ought to get more dough. <laughs> Sit down, you money-mad ham. <laughs> it's a fine entrance you made, Dennis. The first crack out of the box, you want more money. You know, this is only your second year in show business, and if you ask me, you're doing all right. Well, Kenny Baker's got a yacht. Never mind Kenny Baker. <laughs> And it leaks. <laughs> more money, more money. Let me tell you a little story, Dennis. Something you ought to know and think about. When I was a kid your age, life wasn't as easy for me as it is for you. Well, I used to walk around the streets of Waukegan selling newspapers. I was hungry. Yes, and I was barefoot. I bet it was snowing, too. <laughs> you said it. Why, Dennis... When I used to come home at night after tramping the streets all day selling those papers, my little feet were swollen and bleeding. Where'd you get the blood? <laughs> I had it then. <laughs> but I was happy, Dennis. Happy because I was struggling to achieve success, slow but sure. And, and that's why you should be happy, too. Gee, I'm sorry, Mr. Benny. Maybe I ought to take a cut. A cut? Look at, look at his ears go up. They didn't budge. Now, listen, Mary, I wasn't going to mention it because I wanted to be a surprise to the whole gang. But when you each get your check tomorrow, you'll find a raise, a substantial increase. I don't believe it, but say it again. Bill, don't act so surprised I, I gave you all a raise last year, didn't I? Sure, but right afterwards You sold a stock in your ostrich farm My ostrich farm? What's wrong with that? They lay eggs every day of the week And on Sunday, you take over <laughs> Mary, May Company <laughs> Now, Dennis, if you can forget... Dennis, if you can forget about Kenny Baker's yacht long enough, how about singing a song for us? Okay. Go ahead, Dennis. Wait a minute. Come in. Pardon me, are you Jack Benny? Yes. My name is Gross. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Why, no, no, I'm never too busy for an interview. Well, first of all, what are your plans on the radio this year? Oh, I don't know. We're going to keep about the same formula and style as in the past. Yet, we hope to be topical and keep up with the time. I see. And, uh, are you planning any, uh... Are you planning any out-of-town trips during the season? Well, we'll stay here in Hollywood until the middle of December, and then we'll probably go to New York for a month. A month, eh? Yes. That'll bring you back about the... About the, uh... The middle of January. I see. And, uh... Are you, uh... Are you going to close up your house in Beverly Hills while you're away? Yes, I intend to. Yes. Well, I think that about covers everything. Thanks very much, Mr. Benny. You're welcome. Oh, by the way, what paper are you with? None. I'm a burglar. Goodbye. <laughs> hey, come back here. Well, of all the nerve, sing, Dennis. Oh, Jack. What? You better take your mattress to the bank tomorrow. I will. Don't worry. Don't <laughs> worry. 
swallows come back to Capistrano. That's the day you promised to come back to me. When you whispered farewell in Capistrano, was the day the swallows flew out to the sea. All the mission bells will ring, the chapel choir will sing, the happiness you'll bring will live in my memory. When the swallows come back to Capistrano, that's the day I pray that you come back to me. While the altar candles burn, my heart is burning too. If you should not return, I'll still be waiting for you. When the swallows come back to Capistrano, that's the day I pray that you come back to That was when the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano, sung by Dennis Day, and accompanied by Phil, I'll Play Any Town Under 2000 Harris. <laughs> and Dennis, Dennis, that was really a beautiful number. Thank you, Mr. Benny. And I, I love the thought, when the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano. Don, isn't that a grand title? Don, when the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano. Oh, Jack, please. Don, are you rebelling? No, but I just think... Don, when the swallows come back to Capistrano. Okay, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever you swallow a dessert, make sure that it is genuine jello. That's better. Whether you live in Capistrano or San Luis Obispo, always come back to your neighborhood grocer and ask him for a package of tempting economical jello. It comes in six delicious flavors. So remember... All right, Dennis. Oh, I don't want to. Dennis. <laughs> okay. When the swallows come back to Capistrano, you will find that Jello's waiting there for you. Oh, Capistrano. There, that wasn't such a bad plug, was it? Did you write that, Jackson? I certainly did. Take a bow and I'll punch you right in the nose. <laughs> Why don't you? <laughs> anyway, that was smart writing, Mary. 
You know, Don, I'm going to do a lot of that stuff this coming season. Write clever commercials and fantasies, all kinds of sketches and things. It's a lot of work, isn't it? Oh, I don't mind. In fact, I get a kick out of it. Hey, Jackson, what's the idea of all this writing all of a sudden? Last Tuesday, he found a fountain pen. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my talent. Say, Don... I suppose if he found a canoe, you'd want to be an Indian guide. Silly, me, an Indian guide. Say, Don... A couple of feathers in your hair wouldn't hurt. <laughs> all right, forget it. I found a fountain pen on Sunset Boulevard. I put an ad in the paper. Nobody claimed it. So it's mine. What paper did you put the ad in? In the Louisville Courier Journal. <laughs> it ran three days. Now, Don... Gee, does Sunset Boulevard go that far? Get a map and don't annoy me. Now, Don, if I can get a word in edgewise here... We're almost through with this first program, aren't we? Just about, Jack. All we have left is Phil's number, and that'll about wind up the show. Well, then, look. I'm going to run along. You see, uh, Rochester's downstairs waiting for me in the car, and I've got to rush home. You see, I'm writing an article for the Saturday Evening Post, and I want to get it off tonight. You must have found a bottle of ink, too. Yeah, and some stationery and stamps and everything. <laughs> is it okay, Don? Sure, go right ahead, Jack. I'll take care of everything. All right. Well, so long, Don. So long, fellas. See you next Sunday. Goodbye, Goodbye. Jack. Good Good luck, Jack. Jack. See you next week. Well, come on, Phil. Let's get going. Okay, Don. Hit it, boys. Rochester, Rochester, watch out. You don't honk at red lights, you stop for them. Well, our brakes are in a delicate condition. Well, then you can shut off the motor. Boys, if I shut off this motor, even the Blue Fairy couldn't start it. Just watch your driving, that's all. Okay. I sure liked your program tonight, boys. You did? Well, that's good. Uh, which gag did you like the best? The one about you giving everybody a raise. <laughs> that was a good one. It wasn't any joke, Rochester. I'm giving the whole cast more money this year. You are? Yes. Well, boss, has my status quo been affected by this bolt from the blue? <laughs> what do you mean? In other words, when I get my check tomorrow, am I going to be grinning or groaning? <laughs> now, Rochester, let's get this straightened out right now. When I say I'm giving a raise, I mean I'm giving an increase to my associates on the radio. Uh -huh. You see, you're connected with me in a private capacity. That is, you're in a domestic category. Uh -huh. <laughs> so in a nutshell, Rochester, I regard you as just a butler. Not an actor. Just a butler? Yes. Boss, did you see our last picture? <laughs> Don't change the subject. Anyway, Rochester, I can't see where you have any cause for complaint. You're doing all right. Bill Robinson's got a yacht. I don't care what Bill Robinson's got. And if you're not careful, you're liable to be first mate on it. 
Never saw anybody in my life that complains about... Hey, wait a minute. Rochester! Rochester, stop the car! What's the matter, boss? Quick, stop the car! Hmm. Hmm. Uh, pardon me, miss. Are you going towards Beverly Hills? I said, are you going towards Beverly Hills? Hmm. Drive on, Rochester. <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> Stop laughing. We're not home yet. You'll never give up, will you, boy? <laughs> never mind. And getting back to the salary you're so dissatisfied with, let me tell you a little story, Rochester. When I was a kid in Waukegan, I used to walk around the street selling newspapers. I was hungry. And yes, I was barefoot, too. But I was happy. I didn't mind struggling because I knew that someday all my work... This is the last number of the first program in the new Jell-O series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Say, Phil. Yeah, Mary? How about taking me over to the Wilshire Bowl tonight? I'm taking the Blue Fairy. Oh, that's right. There wouldn't be room for both of us. Good night, folks. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with The Shadow followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.